Well, Matt, I have another important parenting question that I need some advice on. So here's the situation. My son is uh, in a competition this weekend. Uh, His team's been doing this practicing. uh, It's not even relevant what it is. But uh, the important point here is, like, of course I want him to do well and win. But if they should win, that means they would advance to a contest or, like, a tournament outside of where I live here in Austin. That would Uh be Dallas. And then should they win again – uh, so I guess that would be you know a state competition there in Dallas. And should they win again, there's some national competition. I think it's in Memphis, Tennessee. So, so this is this is one of these weird uh, incentives. Should should I feel bad? Like I want them to do well, but I I really I actually don't want them <laughs> to win uh, you, you because it's really like, dislike Dallas. <laughs> I I don't I don't know. But it's, it's not some, I don't dislike Dallas. I spent a long time in Dallas. I've lived there. It's a great city. It's just uh, like like this upcoming weekend will be pretty much a half full half day if that makes any sense. Like yep. Yep. there'll be a lot of stuff doing it. So it's just if they go to Dallas, then you know then we're talking full on day, right? And then yeah. you know Memphis. Now now we're talking like a full on weekend. And like I think they're into it. They practice. You know they're into what they're doing, and uh, they're excited. But you know it's 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 a tremendous amount of effort and time. And I don't know if they really. I don't know, like like second graders. I'm not saying all second graders might sort of, like they're into stuff, but they're you know it, it, anything can be. It's like watch an iPad, go outside, do a craft, play a sport. It's like all the same to them, right? There's not like yeah. an, an incredible amount of motivation. So so am I a bad parent for for hoping <laughs> <laughs> he does well, but not so well that we have a lot of travel? Have you faced a dilemma such as this? Uh... You know, I, I, I have, you know, you, you, there's some school thing that you're like, I'm not into this or, you know, some extracurricular, like, you know what, whatever. Um, my point is like, as long as the kid's having a good time, I'm gonna, I'm gonna suck it up and go for it because, you know, to, to you, you know, on the outside, it looks like, you know, iPad play outside, same difference, you know, or, or, you know, go to this thing, but it, it could be one of those, like, formative memory kind of things where they're like, remember that time we went to Dallas, how awesome that was. And to you, you're like, Oh, fucking Dallas. (laughs) (laughs) But, but you never know, you never know what your kids are going to latch onto is like this, you know, formative experience. And, and, and maybe, you know, uh, I mean, and beyond that, well, that could be worse, I guess. But, um, you know, I, I say encourage them. Don't get uh, don't get too wrapped up in the outcome one way or another. And uh, I don't know. I mean, to me, it's like experiences are always more are, are always worthwhile. And, and and one of the things I always tell my kids, like, you know, when they're having a bad time on, you know, some sort of experience, like, you know, say you go to Dallas and you get snowed in and, you know, you end up spending three days there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my point to them was like, hey you know what, in a week you'll be over this and uh, you'll have a good story to tell. That's right? right. And and so I say, I say, let's go to Dallas. Mm-hmm. Have fun in Dallas. Have, have, have fun in Dallas. <laughs> All right. So we'll see. I mean, I don't know. Like, again, like it's back to never knowing. Like you never have any expectations. Right, you just right. don't know if they're going to do great or like what the rules yeah. are. You know how it is just with, uh, with uh, kids in general. So, uh, but I think you, you hit on a good thing. I, I almost need to like go back and like take – some time to think about what are the formative experiences like I remember in my childhood. I think they would mostly be like playing on team sports and like winning some game at some, I'm sure, like relatively young age and feeling that was super important. But I'm sure my parents were just like, oh, great, you know, good job. You know, it's like because I think you now you have the, the perspective of, of like what was really important to you uh, at the moment and then being a parent and reflecting on it, like how important is that really? Oh so. yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I'm going through that with, with my oldest right now, there's a, a, a trip coming up. That's pretty expensive that he wants to go to. And, and, you know, I'm like, I'm not going to pay for it all. You know, just, you know, you're old enough to like find, find ways of, of funding this thing. And, and then like having flashbacks like, Oh yeah, when I was 14, I had a paper route and I used it to fund ski trips and I used it to fund like, you know, cross country, you know, visits of friends. And it was like, you know, that's, and those were big memories to me. Right. Uh, and I've mostly blocked out, you know, having to wake up at 4am every morning to deliver papers. I'm still yeah. a little scarred, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it wasn't my parents fault. Right. You know, it was just like, you know, uh, to me it was worth it. So, um, yeah. 
All right, so we'll keep that and, in mind. And my kids have had a lot of trips, so you know maybe they they maybe I'm overdoing it, but uh, yeah, it's it's all good. Yeah. All right. So all right. So be supportive is what you're saying, Matt. That's really what it comes down to. Just <laughs> well, be, that's, that's be, always be supportive. Right? Cheer them on. Hope that they win it all. All right. We'll see. We'll see. We'll check in next week and see. Uh, you know, two things we can check in on next week. Did am I going to Dallas? And did Cote have a good time in Iceland? Because that's yes. uh, evidently. Uh, the pictures show that he's there. So I, I, I don't see him in the pictures, but I see his his family in the pictures who look like they're well, having and, a good time. Yeah. And, and, and if you're in our Slack, you can see pictures of sheephead that he's looking forward to eating. So that's always something. <laughs> another little bonus for our community. Another bonus uh, for uh, <laughs> for being in Slack. Go go look at uh, sheepheads. All right. So look like this week. I, I feel like there is a lot of Google news this week. Uh, so a while back, Google appointed uh, the new CEO of Google Cloud, right? And it feels like, I don't know, I always just feel like sometimes it just kind of, everyone holds a, a bunch of announcements, right? So you kind of appoint a new leader, and then you do a bunch of stuff. So there's a couple things that jumped out. One, Google is uh, made this commitment of like $13 billion worth of cloud plans, which I guess is like data center, offices, you know. What I, what I read right. into it is like, yeah. And big enterprise Salesforce and supporting enterprise customers. That was my summary of that article. Well, but but it could be like you know, two point you know twelve point nine billion on capex of new data centers, <laughs> and, and a big party for the sales team. Or you know, without seeing how it's broken down, I, I think it kind of reiterates the point of you must be this tall to be public cloud, and. Uh, you know, the, the number used to be, well, a billion dollars. And now it sounds like it's running about five or 6 billion a year to be considered, you know, big enough to play with the big boys. And, uh, you know, um, I guess the, 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 maybe this was, uh, uh, the Korean guy, you know, kind of pointing out to his old, uh, employers, like, told you we had to spend a lot of money <laughs> <laughs> well it definitely seemed like it was part of the story it was like hey we want you to you can kind of see how the recruiting pitch went we want you to come over here and the first question was like well are you going to really invest in it and they're like how's 13 billion sound right that seems like the, <laughs> the next question um and I, I do think it it, it uh i don't know i think there's a lot of comments about like uh Curion's background obviously from oracle so uh the, the other thing that they did is they acquired a company called I believe it's called Aluma. And uh, what it, uh, from reading from it, essentially what it did before was allowed you to, I guess, migrate data to all the clouds, AWS, Google, uh, Azure. And uh, it looks like what they have done there. So just a migration utility, right? So I think the pitch was like, hey, you know, use Aluma and migrate to your favorite cloud. Now uh, it seems like going forward as the way they've announced it is that that will just allow you to uh, migrate to GCP. So no surprise there. But again, like that's, you know, if we think about Google's strategy, I feel like they are um, with Kubernetes, right? They kind of put a, a stake in the ground, like way out there in the future of where they want the technology to go. But then when someone, when they kind of dovetail it with like, hey, let's buy a data migration utility, that seems very classic enterprise sales, right? That, that hey, we need to get all this data you have in a data center somewhere, and we got to make it easy for you to get just the data into the cloud before we even start rewriting applications and doing crazy stuff. Um, so I think this is, again, just another part of what looks to be just a, a continued enterprise focus for them. Well, it definitely kind of backfilling the, uh, uh, I guess you would say, the like rather, rather than focus entirely on you know, next-gen, you know, be like Google, they're like, you know what? We need to spend a little more time digging into those enterprises to help them get out of, you know, get out of their own way. And, and you know, we're going to help them get more more data into the public cloud. And that means hitting up these on-prem databases, hitting up, you know, the data lakes and all that fun stuff. Um, I, I saw they, uh, they, they just put out a beta of their uh, cloud service platform uh, for their, their hybrid cloud, you know, so... Uh, uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty short article, um, but uh, basically, basically said that um, unlike AWS, you know, you're not required to buy hardware. Mm -hmm. um, so, so you know, they they well, they probably have a a list of uh, certified configurations that they're supporting that you know probably looks like the last you know two or three years of Dell and HPE's kit. Um, you know, just so so you can you know 
throw this on a bunch of stuff you've already bought and you know slowly get that uh, kubernetes on-prem that looks like the kubernetes in the cloud I, to me the missing point the missing piece is is all the services you know so as as amazon you know rolls out their on on-prem stuff you know it's you know, they started with the the snowballs and and adding things like you know functions as a or you know lambda on prem and and some of that edge computing. Probably uh, Google's going to be adding a bunch of that stuff uh, real soon because uh, you know because it's not it's not just the K the Kubernetes service that's the sticky part. It's it's the interplay between everything. And so if if you play the you know the the Kubernetes service into this Aluma, you know, data lake in the cloud service, and you start feeding everything behind a common API, you know, then it's, yeah, that's a really uh, valid hybrid play, you know, as long as the public cloud is the, the final destination. That's right. Well, I think maybe that sum summarize that as like Kubernetes is not enough is, is the bottom line. And I think that's, yeah, yeah. that's kind of where Google has probably made its name for lots of obvious reasons more recently, but uh, it does, you know, again, like, I don't know, who knows, maybe the, uh, it was already planned and, uh, and you know, the leadership change is just sort of happening, but it, it feels like just from the outside coming in, it's like, Hey, new CEO. The first thing is, is like, that's great. I'm glad you guys got Kubernetes. Yeah. We're definitely continuing to work on that. Now I need you to do all this other stuff. Why don't we just uh, make those services beta? Like you just kind of feel like there, there is a little injection of, of getting people fired up of like the, where's the money right now? It's in the enterprise. And let's start talking about that. And we can continue to talk about Kubernetes, but we got to just get some of this basic plumbing uh, all set up. And, 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 and coming from Oracle, I'm sure, you know, Korean, uh, well, and just watch what Amazon does. He knows what the enterprise is. It's it's where all your data is, right? <laughs> and 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 that's where that's the front point of the attack. You know the the Kubernetes stuff. Like you know, I've been around enough enterprises. Know like that's cool and all, but you know what what's keeping them there is you know your Windows 2008 R2s, your you know your SQL servers. You know you you've got a lot sitting in there that's going to be hard to move. And so moving that data moving the apps that's that's the key to you know the the hybrid play of, of getting people into your into your migration story it's not kubernetes i mean to some degree it is but mm -hmm. kubernetes is still like you know the the bleeding edge for most enterprises well it's funny because i know like your favorite phrase is digital transformation of course but i think <laughs> when, when you peel back the digital transformation uh i don't know jargon i feel like it just kind of comes into two categories there's like lift and shift or, and I think, and I think it's better to just use real phrases. Like I, I have been helping out or like talking to some customers. It's like, we have uh, I think I said, mentioned this last year, like we have 10,000 SQL server databases uh, that are going to you know, be end of support. Like, what do we do? Or just like, you know, yep. I think your world, you spend a lot of time like uh, windows 2000, like, like right now it seems like the end of support for windows 2008 is driving oh, more I digital transformation, more like lift and shift conversations than all the Kubernetes uh, cloud native uh, workshops Absolutely. ever. Right. I mean, cause it's just Absolutely. people desperate, people looking down, like, Oh, like we got to like, what's the story. So, so you kind of have, that side of and i think that's probably a place where google doesn't naturally spend its time right they want to talk about 12 factor uh applications and you know highly scalable and if coach right. over here he'd be talking a little pair, pair programming and agile and then you have these other guys who are just like i have twenty thousand of these servers and they are about to have get no security updates do you have any ideas chef can you help me with that right i mean that exactly. and it's like exactly. we need an answer by June, right? And everybody is, is highly motivated. And so No, 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 no. Like like if 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 you are a Google sales rep and you do not know what happens July 9th, 2019, you should be looking for a new job. That's right. That's and, and yo, to to our, to our listeners, <laughs> and that's the end of extended support for SQL Server 2008 and 2008 R2. That's right. It's, right? I think I would say I think we could say it's a seminal moment this year. It really right, should right. be. It's like this year's Y2K. This is the it, moment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and, and next year's Y2K, it's January 14th. And, and, and you need to just have those written on your left and right hands, right? That's you just, right. you look down at your hands and you say, July 9th, all the data, July 14th, all the servers. I okay? think it's funny. It's that, like, that, that's it, your enterprise. It's like the sales reps and the IT managers all have the same whiteboard with the dates written on there. It's like, and it's just for different reasons. It's like, must do this by <laughs> July 9th. And the, other, the reps are like motivated buyer. 
until July 9th. So, uh, so yes, make sure to, to get your situation figured out. So I don't know. I'm interested to see, uh, I have not seen a specific Google pitch on their, uh, like what the migration, I'm sure they have it. That doesn't mean they don't have it. It's just all the conferences I've been to is, you know, all the Kubernetes and stuff like that. So, um, but it, it is interesting to see, see them. And I think, well, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, and, and you know, you know who knows these things? Microsoft, right? <laughs> and, and, and you know what the play is for Microsoft? Move it to Azure. We'll give you two more years. Yeah. Yeah. No, they, they've, uh, those uh, are friends in Seattle. Very, uh, well, I guess lots they, of friends in Seattle. And the people are, yeah. they are very smart. They, they understand, they understand motivations uh, quite a bit. Yeah. So, yes, you get a couple extra years of support when you, uh, to move to Azure. And of course, uh, Microsoft has, uh, plenty of solutions to help you make it happen right so your azure site recovery is just a click away i'm sure so <laughs> but are you doing as chef are you in the middle of all this i assume this is oh, a, yeah. a world that yeah. you, you're spending are you now what are you finding are people uh lifting and shifting or are they taking the opportunity to like replatform on either another version of windows or you know moving to linux or something different uh a little bit of both so so um you know our a lot of our, our focus, uh, you know, obviously the, the chef story is, is very valid uh, for traditional enterprises, but um, for for kind of uh, looking forward, um, you know, we're, we're definitely focusing more on applications. And uh, the Habitat story uh, works surprisingly well uh, in the Windows land. And, and so we've got, uh, we've got the, with Habitat, we can, you know, kind of scoop up your application without rewriting it and move your application with its runtime dependencies to a new platform. And so that's that's really attractive if you're looking down the barrel of, you know, hundreds if not thousands of enterprise apps sitting on SQL Server, you know, or you know, uh, you know, Windows Server 2008 R2 that you don't want to touch them, but you want them to keep running, right? And so that's that's been our play. Uh, <laughs> we put out a, a white paper um, and, and and you know, it, it ties very well to Chef. Because uh, you can let Chef deal with you know the plumbing on that box um, to you know handle NTP and cron and you know Active Directory logins and all that junk to get the box ready, and then you just let Habitat keep that application in a happy place. Oh. Um, yeah, and 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 then of course you run compliance across everything. Uh, that's that's you know our, our three pronged attack, and we put out a white paper about a uh, a large uh, automotive customer who had a. Uh, a Delphi application. <laughs> <laughs> wow. There you go. Yeah. Uh, written in, in, in 2003 uh, that was running on Windows 2003. Uh, uh, you know, it, it had been running against SQL Server 2005 um, and just chugging along merrily on its way, but it was costing them, you know, something like $20,000 a seat and, you know, death mode support contract. Um, and... With Habitat, they were able to scoop this application up, uh, move it to 2016, move the SQL Server component off. Of, well, first they first they put SQL Server 2005 on Habitat and were able to deploy that clustered. And then the customer was able to like actually move the whole thing to Azure and use uh, uh, the SQL Server as a service. So you know they got that cloud migration story. Mm -hmm. They got the 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 you know um, replatforming, um, they got a new, you know, so it's, it's a happy story all around. And then, and of course, you know, because it's on Habitat, they went from, you know, it took a week to deploy the application to, right. uh, you know, seconds and, uh, customers really happy and they're going to spin up another hundred or so Habitat applications. So, um, that's, <laughs> you know, that application story is, uh, is real and, uh, you know, come to ChefConf. <laughs> all right, all right, we're gonna do it, and we'll put a link in uh, the show notes so you can read it out. Because I bet you have listeners that are staring down the barrel of July 9th, twenty nineteen. So maybe yeah. they 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 need some ideas. So, but here here's a, a chance for us to to give some predictions that will ultimately be wrong. I'm sure. So ten years from now, so it would be twenty nineteen. So yeah, so let's say uh, so really say twenty thirty one. Because all these, you know, I, I go back. You, you're like, man, two thousand five doesn't uh, it doesn't seem yeah, so 10 years from 2019, but I guess it doesn't seem that long ago. Like when someone says 2005, these applications are like that old, right? But they are, but then you start looking at it and you're like, wow, this is pretty old. So now, you know, we have this movement of containers and like, you know, you just went through Habitat and, you know, this idea that 
you know, ideally we can package everything into smaller, more isolated, you know, if you will, packages of software that'd be easier to maintain. Now, do we think ultimately, like, will it be easier the next time or will there just be, will there just be well, something yeah. new? That, that's, that's, that's the point of Habitat. For some right. people, it won't be easier. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I think, you know, I think the industry as a whole, it will be easier because of technologies like containerization. Uh, people are trying to decouple themselves from their operating systems as tightly as they have been. You know, I mean, virtualization started that trend, but, you know, containerization continues down that path. And then um, when you start talking about, you know, uh, serverless, well, you're like, you know what, what can we push onto services and what can we just l let live on as glue? Um, so I, I think as a whole, everyone is uh, probably getting less coupled to the OS. Uh, which is a good thing, um, and then and then you know the the whole point of Habitat is you're building applications that uh, the packaging uh, is separate from the OS. So after you have your application, you can say, well, I want this to run on Cloud Foundry today. So you know uh, our friends over at Pivotal, we can just export this package over there, and then tomorrow you might say, you know what, I changed my mind. I want to run it as a, a Helm chart on Kubernetes, and you know, I didn't have to recompile anything or, or redo anything. Right, it all just um, works. So that's yeah, yeah. That's the that's the point of Habitat mm -hmm. is future proofing you from your platforms as much as possible. It's harder on Windows, uh, <laughs> but uh, Linux, it's it's pretty pretty super easy. But I, I, you know, you hit something there before. It's like you know, we're all going to be less decoupled from the operating system. I think that's a foregone conclusion. But I wonder if we're just trading it for coupling to our favorite cloud service, right? So, like, once oh, you yeah. get all your data in, you know, your cloud service database of choice, right? Like Azure, what databases, and then, you know, AWS is there. I mean, everyone has their own version of it. It's like it feels like it'll be another, um, especially too, if there isn't these end of life things, right? That force you to like reconsider it. So it feels like if you get a lot of data in one of these. Uh, these cloud providers, like you're just gonna want to leave it. Like you're never really gonna want to migrate all of it out. So, I mean, maybe that's good, maybe that's bad. But I think that's sort of that becomes like the new coupling, right? That's like replacing mm -hmm. the operating system coupling is coupling to the cloud provider. Well, and and that's where that's where it feels like Amazon is way ahead of their competition by pushing Lambda into everything. To to I'm I'm not sure where I read this, but. Um, it, it was kind of talking about the fact that, you know, to, to Amazon, you know, everyone needs, everything needs to be Lambda capable because if customers are in Lambda, you know, they're not getting Lambda elsewhere. And that just ties you to Amazon as your platform. Right. Whereas, whereas the competition, like, like Azure, or this is probably Simon Wardley, you know, Azure and, and Google, they're like, oh yeah, we have functions as a service. Mm -hmm. And it's not the glue of everything. It's just like, you need to run some some code over there. Well, we got an engine that you can toss your stuff onto. And Amazon's like, no, 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 no. This isn't an engine. This is, you know, the the, 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 the glue is the platform. Right. Uh, and, and so it, it's, it's not just like, I throw my stuff over there and it runs. It's like, this is Amazon. <laughs> this, so, and this uh, is how. So, I mean, I do think, you know, you, I, when we talk about the cloud a lot, there's like two things I hear a lot. Like one AWS is way ahead. I don't think anyone d disputes that. But I often hear sometimes people say it's like, but it's really early, right? People say, um, and you hear it for like different reasons. A lot of analysts will say it's still really early. But there is an but argument to be made that that you know it is a land grab, right? Because the more every day, the the more that you get into Amazon and the fact that you get highly coupled, that that business probably isn't going to be you know up for bid again or competitive for a long, long time. So, I mean, that is, you know, I guess it's kind of a retort to like, it's the, the people that keep saying it's early, lots of things will change. It's like, well, <laughs> I mean, maybe not, you know, may, maybe once you get in there that it's just, it's like any type of uh, rock rolling downhill. Once it gets momentum, it's going to be very, very hard to stop without some other event. Well, and, and the competition is hyper aware, you know, Amazon, is hyper aware of their competition and their advantages and you know they're not likely to get blindsided by by some up and coming up and comer because you know they they aggressively harvest their partners <laughs> <laughs> you know anything that's like the next hot thing they're like all right we'll do that too right and and they're they're not you know they they've 
proven time and time again not to be worried about competing with their own offerings. You know, there's a dozen ways to do most everything on Amazon, um, which, you know, for good or bad. Um, but, you know, it, it doesn't seem likely that, you know, something's going to come out of left field. And with the Google, you know, Google saying, hey, you 13 billion this year is like, it's not like a startup's going to take them out. Right. <laughs> you know, it's going to be. Well, it's going to be about four or five companies with, you know, who are willing to put up, you know, billions of dollars a year. You know, it's not like, you know, I'm, I'm going to be like, I've got this, this great domain. Uh, it's called cloudcomputingcontainer.com. And, you know, we're going to be the next hot shit. It's like, you must have, you know, five billion to, to play, <laughs> yes, <laughs> which yes. is a short list, you know. Um, so, so yes, it, it's early in the day. And the reason they say that is because, you know, what 10% of the enterprise is in public cloud. And that means that, you know, that public cloud is going to grow, you know, nine X, uh, more, um, and, and keep growing, you know, it's not like it is done, but I don't see the ratios changing, you know, uh, yeah, or something's has to happen, right? Like I, I, it doesn't, you know, current course and speed, it's hard to like, see like, uh, something suddenly changing. Yeah. So, but Matt, did you know what is changing the time? Uh, to monitor your stuff, right? Because people yes. find that as they roll out new applications and they make changes, you know what they need to do? They need uh, to find themselves some good monitoring software. And that, that lets me uh, remind everyone that this episode is sponsored by SolarWinds. And this week, SolarWinds wants you to know about their tools designed for DevOps, Pingdom, AppOptics, PaperTrail, and Logly. Today's recognized pillars of observability combine metrics, traces, and logs to enable DevOps teams to monitor systems and application performance. But these capabilities provide only limited insights into application performance because they ignore the user experience, a critical measure of application performance. Understanding if a system is slow or unavailable from an end user's perspective is crucial in today's digital world, even if the metrics are good and there are no alerts. Altogether, the combined functionality of Pingdom, AppOptics, PaperTrail, and Logly brings together real user monitoring, synthetic user monitoring, web and application performance metrics, distributed tracing, event aggregation, and log management to help proactively identify bottlenecks and accelerate troubleshooting. By bringing user experience, metrics, traces, and logs together with an easy-to-use complementary toolkit, DevOps teams gain unmatched visibility into their cloud environment so they can seamlessly follow an alert or issue from one product into another to resolve issues quickly and get back to focusing on the more productive elements of their job. Over 275,000 customers worldwide and 99% of the Fortune 500 trust and rely on SolarWinds for their monitoring software. To learn more or try the company's DevOps products for free, please visit solowinds.com slash DevOps. Again, that's solowinds.com slash DevOps. And of course, tell them your friends at Software Defined Talk sent you. Yeah. So before, uh, you're saying, you know, I love, I like one of the things you said right before that is that uh, you so eloquently put it that Amazon likes to harvest its part, partners uh, to some degree. Yeah. And speaking of that, a partner that, or I should say partner, a, a company that is fighting that off is, is Redis. So what is the latest news from Redis, uh, Matt? Oh, yeah, yeah. So so Redis uh, announced that uh, they just raised a $60 million uh, round. So uh, that's cool. Um, you know, they, they raised a Series E. Uh, they're going to use that to, you know, conquer the world. And, and probably probably at this point, they'll, they'll start looking at going public. Um, you know, not not a lot of F and, and G's out there, but uh, uh, but you know, part of that was well, um, how much are they losing to Amazon? Um, you know, since Amazon has their uh, what did they what was it called the the document DB or you know, you know they 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 launched their their Redis compatible uh, public uh, uh, service, um, so uh, you know that that's got to be part of it. But I'm sure with uh, sixty million dollars, you can come up with some other ways to make some money. Um, but then uh, they also announced, I don't know how much they announced it, but they changed their licensing again. Um, so so uh, it looks like they're kind of backing off their their commons clause, their Apache 2 commons clause license. 
and they've just dropped that in favor of what they call the Rita source available license, which, you know, back in the heyday, I, they might have that for Windows, as far as I know. Like, you know, well, it's it's not as 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 you know flexible as that, but you know, there have been you know quote unquote open licenses where you can read the code and contribute back to it, but you can't do anything with it. Um, and they're they're trying to you know kind of have it both ways, uh, where you know, well, you can still use it, uh, but you can't. Oh, they had a list of things you can't do with it. Um, it seemed like the big thing is they didn't want you to create like a competing database. It's, yeah, it's yeah. What, it's like you can do anything that doesn't. <laughs> you can do anything uh, you want. Uh, and as, I as guess to be it, yeah. very clear, just so people don't email us, is that the new license applies to the Redis modules, not yes. the, uh, I guess, the traditional Redis open source database i guess that's yeah yeah so the, like, the redis core sentinel cluster that's that's still all under their uh, bsd license which is you know super friendly um and and they've got their their enterprise license where they put you know their straight up commercial products and then the the source available license you know you can't you can't build yourself a database product a caching engine a stream processing engine a search engine an indexing engine or a machine learning uh, ai engine <laughs> yes. So it's like, uh, I wonder where they're headed. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you do have to like really digest this license. You need to know what's going on. It is not like yeah. I would not characterize this as a, an easy read. We need maybe the Stephen O'Grady treatment on this, like a good long post outlining everything clearly for what's happening. Uh, so, but I, I don't know. What do you think? Like, because uh, I think there was, I can't remember if Redis said this, but somebody made a comment on Twitter. Uh, there was something along the lines of like we need to rethink open source, and then I don't know. Then just the Twitter machine exploded around that thing uh, with many people upset. But I, I was, I was, as I was reading it, I was like, I think in some ways it comes down to this: that your job function to, can largely determine your perspective on open source. So what this means is, like, I would say, if you're a highly talented full stack engineer or even like a specialized back end engineer. That has uh, probably a lot of job opportunities. Yeah. And you um, find that working on some piece of open source is intellectually challenging and really provides you uh, a good career and probably provides you a good salary. My guess is you, you really view open source as nothing but a good thing that is really helping society and obviously helping you personally, right? Because you're, mm -hmm. you're a little abstracted. And of course, like if that job somehow ended, you're probably highly mobile and you could quickly get another job. So then I would say, um, then I'm going to put like, you're in like evangelism or product marketing kind of function. Whereas you not only need to tell people why it's great, but you're also going to be measured to some degree about like people actually paying you money of, for something, right? Like there's going to be a, a, a and, you're, and you're maybe really good at your job, but you're, you're going to be graded about like, did you not only evangelize the solution, but did people come in and did it generate some kind of leads that led to sales, right? So, so your, your opinion probably of open source is more like, I think it's really good, it helps us build community, but you also feel like people probably need to like pay for something. There needs to be some reason that, okay. And then, and then we're gonna go to the, the sales rep, or medical sales rep, where they're pretty much graded solely on if they sold to their quota, they don't necessarily uh, spend a lot of time just developing technology and their, their worth or their uh, to get new jobs is going to be about, did they meet their quota to get either promoted yeah. or to get other jobs? So, so their feeling I think is going to be like, man, this open source stuff just gets in the way, right? Because it's just, it doesn't necessarily uh, because they, if they find that they have to explain why someone needs to pay instead of using the free thing. So I feel like those are just the three major types of people that are active and you need, you can just predict people's reaction based on their job title. What do you think? <laughs> well, well, definitely for, for the enterprise salesperson, like it doesn't matter if they work at an open source software company or not, because, you know, if, if, if they're not like, you know, for example, let's say you're an Oracle database sales guy uh, and, and don't don't think about the fact that they own MySQL. Um, you know, you're out there trying to, to pound the pavement and sell yourself some some Oracle databases and you're having customers look you in the eye and say, well, uh, we're happy with open source alternatives. Right, and those alternatives, you know, maybe it's uh, Postgres, Postgres with some enterprise DB, or, um, uh, you know, they they they're they're willing to say like, look, your enterprise product's great, but 
we can get by with uh, their alternate implementations of your technology that we don't have to pay for. And that's not really different uh, being as the vendor of that product also, right? Because you'll have customers say like, you know what, Uh, we we love your open source product. Um, We like you guys as a company, but uh, we can get by without you as a company for now, right? And so people are willing to, you know, have the milk, uh, you know, and not buy the cow, um, and and you know, and that's uh, that's how you know incentives work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so so I think the enterprise, you know, your, your sales rep, they probably don't have a lot of love for open source uh, because it's it's an escape hatch for customers, you know. Um, and I think you know, flip around the other side. I think on the developer side, right? So you're a developer, you're working on some application somewhere and you know, the product manager's like, Hey, you know, we need to build some like authentication system and you know, we got to get it done and we got to get it done next week. So what do you do? Like you, you search around and you know, Oh, you find like a bunch of open source projects, right. That have like, mm-hmm. they've dealt with everything and, and really they like pass you some nice JSON and some nice auth tokens and they make it easier. So like, so your feeling of open source is nothing but joy. You're like, oh, Thank God, this thing is already yeah, yeah. here. It's like written in the the you know it's an NPM or whatever. There's the the package you want, the language you want. You download it, and and then you can go back to your uh, your product manager or your development manager and say like, yeah, I checked it out. And then they're gonna ask you what's the license. They're like, hey, the license is good. We can include it. <clears throat> And we can even, uh, you know, do some stuff uh, to make it a little bit better. We can contribute back, right? Because that's going to help us, and that gives you a little bit of joy because you're like getting some GitHub love, right? And and I just think, you know, like I just think, you know, it, it's just maybe this is just a long way of saying like, hey, people respond to incentives. Like I don't think either person is wrong. Like I I have done this many times. I have uh, when I've worked on my own my own little apps. Like I can't imagine. I have cut and paste and used so much open source software. I can't even. I don't even know how I would, I would have nothing if it weren't for that. And then I've also been on the other side when you're in front of a group of people and you're like, you really do want them to be motivated to buy. And you know, you, and you're trying to really show them the value and, and get them excited. So I've, I've seen at times you are frustrated that these open source solutions. So I don't know, this is just my, my whole way of saying, it. I think maybe everyone should just calm down. Everyone just needs to calm down and just be like, just, just well, take, just take stock of where you are. That's all you need to do. Take stock yeah. of what you are. Yeah. I, I, th- I think it's, if, uh, if you're a developer, it, it's wonderful. So, uh, you know, you, if you're working on Kubernetes, you're golden, right? And, and come, you know, a year, you know, two, three years down the road when there's some next big hotness, you know, you'll, you'll transition, you know, you went from OpenStack to Kubernetes to, you know, next hotness, uh, you'll, you'll be fine. Um, but it, it's the people trying to find ways to make a, you know, a viable company out of it that, they're the ones who have a harder time with it, you know, because your skills as a developer, very transferable, right? And, and, and actually as an enterprise salesperson, probably pretty transferable too. Uh, but as the, you know, as the VC or, you know, the, the people trying to like turn, you know, a, a health, a, a small company into a large company, there's a lot more tension. Um, and, and obviously taking venture capital, uh, increases that tension levels, um, which is, you know, uh, interesting cause, uh, we, we saw, um, the Travis CI folks were acquired last month, uh, by, uh, IDERA. And then, uh, today apparently, uh, most of the engineering is looking for jobs. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the thing is like, they're going to find jobs, uh, because the, the tech that they work with, you know, Kubernetes and, and all sorts of open source and CICD and builds is like, that is the hotness, right? Um, if, if you're looking for, you know, a developer job, um, but you know, probably the, the Travis CI, probably some of the people involved in the higher up, uh, levels of Travis CI are, well, I mean, everyone's mad when they get laid off, but those people are like, you know, well, hopefully they got paid, but you know, I'm, I'm guessing Travis CI is about to disappear. Yeah. So, I mean, I, it is interesting when you, when you kind of like think back um, through all of those things, because, you know, open source, right. And I, and I, I think what you're getting to is like the root of like where the real friction comes from is that founder VC moment, right? It's, it's, and I think it's usually the same mistake. It's like, we see a lot of adoption of this open source tool or product right and i think if there is one thing that you could do is to kind of push the founder vc and say okay that is 
at least indicative of there is interest in solving this problem. But are people truly willing to pay to solve this problem? And if so, what do we need to offer them to pay? Because that seems like at the very beginning, and it's fine if you want to experiment, but I think that's what leads to a lot of these various licensing changes that frustrate people. And uh, and these quotes like open source is broken. It's like, no, 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 no. It's not broken. It's your, <laughs> your business model that yeah, you have created say, is not maybe, is not going to generate billions of dollars. But that yeah. does not mean anything is broken. I, um, I, I think that the real problem is open source works too well. <laughs> right and, and and is resistant to to your your you know your needs to you know make it exclusive to you as a pr provider yeah and 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 so you know that's that's the hard part so maybe that's not where the money is you know maybe the money is running it on a you know as a platform for other people and then the problem is like oh there's you know these five billion dollar a year giants already in that space you know uh, but I think that's the checklist, right? You, you hit it, right? That's the checklist people should go down. It's like, okay, there is an open source project or we can build one that has momentum. We don't necessarily think we can just sell it or, as, an, as a traditional enterprise license, nor do we think that people are going to come to a hosted version just for us. That's fine, right? But it is possible to say like, hey, you know what? We should potentially keep the funding low, build a really good uh, project here, and really look to exit by being acquired by one of these cloud providers or doing a, a licensing deal that's it's probably going to be very unfair, right? It's going to be one of those deals where you're like, hey, I gave up too much. But if you keep the economics in a, in a reasonable place that you can go work with these cloud providers. So like like thinking through that before you do all this work and raise all this money, is going to, I just think it's going to save you a lot of time. Or <laughs> finally, you can say, no, no, we're going to go for it. We're going to be the next billion dollar acquisition in this area. I'm fine with that. I love when people do it. We'll talk about you, but it may not work out. So don't get mad on Twitter. If it doesn't work yep. out, just don't get all mad at Twitter uh, for that. Good luck so. becoming a unicorn. <laughs> That's right. Good luck <laughs> on the unicorn. Um, all right, Matt. Well, a couple other th random things here. One, uh, did you get your new dot, uh, dev domain? It's only eleven thousand dollars to uh, to register. It, it, it. It's dropping. It's dropping every day. Like what? I don't uh, understand. Like why is this just? They just. So I guess the story here is Google is licensing the .dev, D-E-V domains, which I guess will be kind of the new cool domains to replace .io or whatever. But they started out, I guess they cost $11,000 uh, a year, or $11,000 to register and then $19 a year. But then they're going to, the price will come down like to like normal prices in a couple weeks. So I don't know. Is this uh, just a reason to like allow, week. let brands, yeah. is like if I'm a big brand and I, I feel like owning this for $11,000 is worth it, like. Like, is anyone buying this? That's what I, I guess I really wonder. Well, um, you know, the, if you go to the git.dev website, uh -huh. uh, the, you can see that, uh, you know, Salesforce and Mozilla and They've all Glitch and Stripe. Yeah, so, um, and, and so it's, it started at, yeah, 11,000 or something like that. And then every two days or something, it drops <laughs> uh, in price. So I think, I think it's supposed to hit like a hundred and 30 bucks next week. Uh, okay. Uh, so, so well, no one take any domains that I want until they're yes. all, and, until uh, they're cheap. So don't, uh, you I'm know. not going to spend, I think it's in the $500 range right now. So still out of my price range for vanity URLs, <laughs> but uh, as, as the former holder of such highlights as chimpan.xyz, um, <laughs> I have a very low threshold for, for, uh, for, for pricing. So, uh, mm -hmm. I let that one expire. A oh, buck ninety nine a year was too rich for my blood. <laughs> All right. Well, if anyone uh, has eleven thousand dollars to spend, then uh, listen. Don't spend it. Call us, and we'll help advertise whatever it is you're selling. That will we'll, yeah. we'll give you a much better ROI. We will than, solve uh, problems. We'll, we'll give you a subdomain. <laughs> that's we'll, we'll, right. You can be you can be your company dot software defined talk yeah. com. Yeah. Yeah. We could. No problem. We'll do it for five thousand dollars. What a deal. <laughs> It'd be incredible. Well, the other, uh, fun, I think I kind of found this, like there's a lot of people that got upset by it, but uh, I don't know. For some reason, I just thought it was funny. So it's Google says the built-in microphone it never told new Nest users about was never supposed to be a secret, which I think is a great headline. So I guess what happened is uh, the Nest security system they're coming out uh, has a microphone in it, but 
<laughs> but uh, they didn't tell anybody. And then people found out about it. And so this is just going to fuel the fire of like everyone's listening to you. The uh, Facebook oh, is listening yeah. to your, your phone. Uh, Alexa. Alexa. Hopefully, hopefully she doesn't come on. Uh, Alexa's listening to this podcast right now. Uh, and uh, Suri's probably listening and, and everybody's listening. So yeah. so at this point, like I have I have a lot of known microphones that are listening. So I, I'm always curious. Like, I wonder how many unknown microphones are in the house well, right now. Yeah. And they had the, the Singapore Airlines with the, the cameras and the, the seats. Oh, what was this? They, oh, and they, they were like watching they had, you. Uh, the, the, the little, you know, the little t- screens on your on on your uh, in front of you. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've got a camera on them, and okay. they're like, no, 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 those are turned off. And it's like we 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 never enabled those. And it's like, seriously though, I've got a camera looking at me for eight hours. That you know, as I fly to Singapore. <laughs> um, so so yeah, I, I, obviously people are. Um, some of us uh, don't really go for the the uh, opt-in uh, panopticon, uh, but uh, the Nest one, of course, has got a microphone, right? <laughs> I mean, how many times does the smoke alarm go off and you want to say like, you know, uh, just cook in here, you know, <laughs> turn um, it off? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I'm not surprised at all by that. that that's a definitely. A well, episode. I think it's safe to say at this point, everything has a microphone in it. So if, yeah, if you got a toaster, microphone, blender, microphone, just. Every everything, and I do think it's funny that, um, especially when you walk around in like the security divisions of companies, or just when anywhere there's security groups, like they will usually they they're usually the guys with like black electrical tape or something taped over the camera, like your camera lens of your laptop. Um, and there was this whole long write up about how Apple laptops, like like when you close the hinge, like they physically like the circuit or. I guess, you know, basically becomes disconnected. I guess this was some specialized thing they wanted to do to, again, emphasize privacy. But still, I guess I guess the best solution here is still like a little plastic, because uh, I saw a laptop advertised with like a little plastic, like, uh, I guess, oh, like shutter, yeah. right? And yeah. you just put it over. So it's, yeah, so that's it. Just bringing yeah. back shutters. That's what everyone needs. Just like, okay, turn it off. I don't <laughs> want you looking at me anymore. Yeah, well, you know. The, the, there's a slippery slope from you know that shutter to uh, rolling your own Linux distro. So uh, <laughs> that's right. You're just a, sto- mean, a stone's throw away from being like I, off the internet completely. I, I you know I, I I have been reading the Linux from scratch documentation lately, so whoa. I'm just saying. <laughs> whoa, whoa! We need to check in with you a little bit. Um, My, yeah. Yeah, so the the paranoia run, runs deep sometimes, but as far as I know, it's just me and the spiders here in Australia. So <laughs> that's right. Uh, well, you just moved like you know twenty thousand miles away, so yeah, you're good. You're safe. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, what you know, and, and the funny thing is, like the the high the high density like fiber background uh, here in uh, uh, backline here in Australia, uh-huh. uh, the U.S. built for Australia. Oh, really? You're, you're welcome. For yeah. the uh, oh, for the internet or for like the some probably military base thing or probably yeah, yeah. military right. That's good. Well, that's good to know. Why can't I, I? Maybe that's the key. Want good internet? Live near military bases. That's uh, that, you know, let's let's get that going. Um, that might be dark fiber. Well, you know, let's light that up. Let's go. I'm ready. I need it. I'm ready. I'm ready for Austin. Google Fiber promised to come like five years ago. They're not coming. I'm pretty sure they're not coming to my neighborhood, and I'm bitter and I'm I'm sad. Yeah, and, and that's the kind of the, the problem, you know, the, the pit that Australia has fallen into is they, they had this big high-speed initiative that, you know, five years ago was super fast. Mm-hmm. And today I'm looking at other people's bandwidth and I'm like, I've got that. I've got the, you know, the national broadband network, NBN, which kind of partially fizzled and was this boondoggle. But now people are still wishing they had it, but it's like it's 100 megabit. And that's, that's like, like the best that's in Australia. Really? Yeah. You know, so yeah. So you might as well just say like. Uh, I feel like the answer know, is I've always been... Singapore. When people talk about fast internet, they're like, "Oh, have you been to Singapore? It's like eight million, you know, gigabytes but a second." That, that that's like saying, you know, I've got the fastest Wi-Fi in my house. Singapore's pretty small. Yeah, um, they had it easy. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it's it's easy to do when you know you're an island with, you know, not a lot of that's really dense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's much harder to do when you are you know. A country the size of Australia, you know, the size of the continental U.S. with only 25 million people. Um, yeah. So, so high speed in Australia, still slow. 
Well, I think this is always there's always like these debates like net neutrality, capitalism, free market, public funded. It's like, well, as far as I can tell, none of it's working. Not nothing is coming to my house. So like, I'm in favor. I'm just in favor of high speed internet. Like, how do we got to get? How do we get it here? Who do I have to support? Where do I have to donate? I'm in. Like, I want some fiber. You you know what high speed internet? It it's the Linux on the desktop uh, of, right. of of promises because you know it's always perpetually on the next horizon 5g that's where yeah. it's at yeah i don't know i feel like i'm out now i don't even believe it anymore i mean uh you know not to be all political but you know president trump uh he he just he was like this morning he said he's, he wants 6g and i'm like you know i was like this may be the first time i i agree with you i don't even know what 6g is i don't even think it exists but i want it and i want it here and i want it now let's get it done and probably by executive order, it'll be on AT&T phones next quarter. That's right. right. But they will. It'll just be, it'll be, unfortunately, a solution where they just change the five to the six and like nothing yes. changes. And I'll be like, great. No, well, I, want, I, I want faster internet. Yes. So. And their 5G wasn't even 5G. Yeah. Yeah. AT&T. <laughs> well, they, at least they figured it out. They're like, well, let's we'll change the logos. No one will notice. So. Nope. Right. They won't. All right. Well, a couple other random things that we're going to leave in the the show notes here for you, you know, reading uh, for you to read on your own, if you will. Like one, uh, Warren <laughs> Buffett, uh, <clears throat> he dumped his stake in Oracle. So, uh, I guess I guess he's not a fan of the Oracle database. I don't know. I guess yeah. he he's been reading the Google press releases. So that seems. Uh, uh, Matt, you found actually a pretty good article about uh, there. There's no good reason to trust blockchain technology. It's a long read. I thought it was good. Yeah. Al. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, Bruce Schneier uh, writing in Wired, um, always, uh, always bringing uh, bringing a good viewpoint onto things. So yeah. uh, it's a good article. I think it's very practical. <clears throat> very, very point, practical. So. <clears throat> so check that out. That's something fun to read. And then uh, Matt, most importantly, uh, we, we don't have to go into it, but I, word is you're getting a new CMO over there at Chef. So you know what I hope to see? Some new PowerPoint templates. You know, that's what I mean. <laughs> a new color scheme. Go to right click, apply new template. That's well, that's what you're getting, my friend. Uh, I, I think I probably I need to put it in the show notes. We've got some early bird discounts for ChefConf. There'll be new, new uh, templates on the way. Nice, <laughs> nice new templates, new ChefCon. It's going to be great. I hope they still have that DJ. I like that guy. That uh, was, yeah, yeah, he's like my, uh, he's my favorite. He's still. Der- I rank Derek him. Mazzone. Yeah, yeah, I rank him as number one conference DJ. Uh, but did you know, Matt? There's there's a chance for you to do even more fun stuff with software defined talk. One is you can get in uh, our software defined talk Slack. So just go to software defined uh, software defined talk.com. Click on the Slack button and our friend, uh, no SH, I don't know, JJ, no SSH, JJ hooked us up and you'll get an invite. And this week, if you were in Slack, there are many good conversations. One of them was a heated debate about PDFs. And uh, and the dot mo mobi uh, oh, yeah. of format, yeah, yeah. so I, I won't I won't ruin it for everyone. I think there are some passionate <laughs> passionate stances about what's better, what does work on the Kindle, what doesn't work on the Kindle, we, we uh, how to read hour. things. Yeah. yeah, I mean that's like a whole other. And then there was another debate about um, someone saying that they uh, they hate Jira more than YAML. And then, of course, JSON got dragged into the conversation as well. So, uh, and then, of course, some people are going to point out, well, Jira and YAML are, are different things. I, I'd say yes, you need to read the threat. It's a, it, it somehow makes sense if you read the whole thing. Um, so that was it was very exciting, and it's always good to get uh, tremendous uh, feedback in there. And um, I would say though, the group tends to dislike things more than they like things. That is that is maybe one <laughs> no, warning. No, 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 no. <laughs> we it, it, it's we start with like here's something I dislike. <laughs> Yet constructively, we come around to solutions to those problems. It's true. So I, I you know, uh, our our Cote has uh, his new uh, uh, his new book available from Pivotal, uh, provided in PDF form. And so I started the gripe fest by complaining uh, that you know I kind of would like things in Mobi because I read them on the Kindle, and <laughs> PDFs right. on Kindle are, are hot hot you know hot garbage. And we came up with solutions. So I'll report back on those solutions. All right. Well, let let us know. And again, join the Slack and you won't miss out. You can live these conversations in real time. Uh, The (laughs) other thing that you can do if if you want some free stuff, uh, one, just send me an email at stickers at softwaredefinedtalk.com. Send me your postal draft. I'll send you some free T-shirts. If you want to do something like you want to write an iTunes review or the other thing that many people have done, if you're using Overcast, just look down at your Overcast right now. Click the little star icon. 
Um, I don't know exactly what it does, but you know, I'm just trying to feed everybody's AI. So hopefully that, that star gives us some points. But if you do either one of those things, iTunes review or stars and uh, overcast, send me an email telling me you did it. And if you live in the United States, I will send you a free t-shirt that is either large or extra large. And that is either gray or black. And if you want a black one, do it soon and email soon because uh, <laughs> great. That is the, the more popular. So uh, our friend, uh, Cole from Plainsville, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, he's a huge fan. He says he's been listening to everything Cote related since drunken retired. So, wow, that's a lot. I don't know. You may, may, may need some hobbies. Maybe that's too much, but uh, <laughs> he was a great fan. So we sent him a t-shirt. And if, uh, if you do something like that, I'll send you a t-shirt too. As long as they last. All right. And then of course, if you, uh, if you want more of us, you should go check out software defined interviews. There's lots of good interviews with like, interesting people. Uh, lots of bad cattle, so lots of good stuff to listen to. And then, Matt, do you have uh, a recommendation for us this week beyond go to ChefCon? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I will definitely uh, I'll report back on the the Moby PDF thing. Uh, that might take a while. Um, <laughs> but this week's uh, my my recommendation is a, a little just uh, UX hack for macOS. Um, I have two monitors, and mm -hmm. um, I usually use the 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 laptop display for you know chat and, and other stuff but right. sometimes when you're you're trying to focus on what you're working on uh you don't really want to maybe you don't want to turn it off you just want to kind of de-emphasize the focus on that so uh, i'm using an app called haze over um oh, and what it does like is it, it darkens the the other windows um so whatever's in your primary focus stays full full brightness and the other ones uh you know, they, they get darker and there's a little slider. You can decide how, how dark it gets and, and fun stuff like that. Um, I tried some of the alternatives uh, and I'm staying on Hazover because uh, it works with Emacs. <laughs> <laughs> Great. But, but, but Great. The others, no, no, no. <laughs> like, like for whatever reason, the other ones didn't like give Emacs the full screen focus when I switched oh, to it. And, okay. you know, you, um, and it's, you know, it, it's not free. Uh, it's got a little nag thing at the very bottom, which is probably going to trigger me to pay for it uh, pretty soon. Um, and, you know, it's a simple app, uh, but uh, that's my pick for this week. All right, I like it. Haze over. Get your work done. Don't be distracted. I need that. <clears throat> probably won't do it, but I need it. I, I admit I should do it. Let me say that. A um, couple other quick things. I'm sure if Cote were here, he'd, he'd want to tell you that there's, like, a lot of discounts for DevOps days. So if you're going to DevOps days anywhere, you should uh, check out – uh, the show notes for some um, for some discount codes, <clears throat> and then there's probably a chance to go to a Spring One tour somewhere near you. Looks like they're all over the world, so you'll probably run into Coat Day. He'll be talking about digital transformation, and I'm sure giving out his new book. So that'll that'll be some fun stuff. Uh, the other thing is, uh, if you haven't already, you can obviously follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Lots of fun Instagram pictures. Um, I don't know if we really have a theme to the Instagram stuff other than just uh, kind of random fun pictures. So uh, you're, you're, you're really trying to get me to get an Instagram account. Yeah, Matt is not on there. <laughs> cannot tag Matt. You cannot tag Matt on Instagram. So I don't even know if Matt knows where it is, but that's okay. Every, to each it's, their own. It's somewhere in Facebook. It is. It's somewhere. I, that's how I feel. It's somewhere in Facebook. Uh, the other uh, thing this week, so my recommendation this week is I have to say, I, I guess I'm sort of just sucked into this uh, Elizabeth Holmes uh uh, situation. She was the woman uh, that started uh, what Theranos that was going to like test your blood with a drop. And there's just been a bunch of interesting things I've read. So I, I think I already recommended this book, Bad Blood. So if you want to hear a whole book on it, it was interesting. That's what sort of got the ball rolling. Then there's this podcast, like six episodes, that's got a bunch of excerpts of their uh, testimony from the deposition. So you can kind of hear what's going on. It's called The Dropout. And then there's this Vanity Fair article that. Uh, uh, has even more written up about like what's going on. So I don't know. I just, I find it kind of fascinating. It's a fascinating look into, um, I guess what some people would call like this founder mentality, the sort of, uh, you know, blindly optimist, right? Take no prisoners. Like there is no bad news. Do what I say. And so it, right. I guess it's interesting to me because it's obviously the company's gone out of business. So they really are peeling back the, the entire, uh, I don't know, uh, onion on like what went down. So I, I think it's a fascinating uh, thing you, to you, check out. So so you, you can listen you, to uh, the uh, the you can you can buy the book, read the book, listen to it, or you can just like read all the free stuff, which is the podcast there, uh, which <laughs> so, is probably all the same information. But I like it. 
Yeah, yeah. So you definitely need to be into that kind of stuff. Like my wife started it, and she's like, got you know, she angrily got rid of it. She's like, I don't care about any of this. So, you know, who recommended this? To <laughs> but uh, again, she's not a fan of the show. So yeah, yeah. For the record, I did not recommend it to your wife. I don't think, at least unless you listen <laughs> no, to the show. No, no. Like, yeah, it has like a true crime. I mean, it's it's not necessarily a true crime because. Well, there may be crimes. There, there I don't know. Crimes. I guess there are yeah, some crimes. Right. So just re- so yeah. So true like you know, you know right now, Kote would if he was here, he'd be like, no, don't don't listen to this true crime crap. But like you know, I just can't get enough of it. So I'm not saying it'll help you in any way in your life. But like maybe you're on a long, long plane trip. Maybe you need something to listen to. So so check out all the all the stuff about Elizabeth Holmes, and you can report back if it's working out. So all right, with that, uh, we thank you for listening, and we will talk to you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>